0: Okay, let me explain what has happened. We have audio recording of this entire interview that I think is so good, I don't want us to lose it. And what it means is that we don't have video of all of this interview, but we are going to entertain you with these marvelous clips that Jama has on his art station that are... How did you describe them? They are like... Did you say they were like trailers?
1: Yeah, like for example whenever I do a tutorial or something just to let people know what this tutorial is about, I just release the trailers. And sometimes I do them just to kind of share my progress and what I'm doing at the moment.
0: We'll see plenty of those during this interview. <laughs> Hi, Jama. Hi, Marshall. This is going to be our first time talking in person other than just an awkward minute or two a year ago at Lightbox. Exactly. Jama was my student 10 years ago uh, for about a year uh, online and he was in Tajikistan Yes. And there was an electricity curfew that he's going to tell us about so that we were not in class live together for the most part, occasionally, but he would hand in his homework and we would give feedback to it and we also recorded the classes, didn't we? Yes. Uh, So,
1: it's a very interesting situation to talk about because uh, I brought it up multiple times like telling my story to people and some people have really a uh, big problem to kind of wrap the head, head around this how would you not have electricity for a day i was like well sometimes it wasn't there for a couple of days
0: it's just a different concept right but you were so involved you did the homework it seems obsessively do you remember it that way i i do and it's just i knew
1: it's my chance because i was self taught up to then and again it was all very unorganized very I was just trying to learn bits here and there, but once I I found out that I'm, I'm I'm given this opportunity to study with with amazing artists and instructors like yourself, and I just felt like I need to use this opportunity, you know. And even though I had electrical problems, electricity problems, I had tons of supply problems as well. I still. I knew like this is my chance and I just did my best to do my homework and my studies.
0: You did your best and it was amazing.
1: It all started out me being back in Tajikistan and I kind of like started following this concept art community and obviously, I only had like internet access. I didn't have any community around me because Tajikistan is a, it's a small country, we, were, uh, we had a legacy of ex-Soviet Union so there's no like concept art community at all I would say and still there are not many people doing this type of work and what was interesting that i was able to kind of find this online community which was back in the days so conceptart.org and then obviously this is where on that platform you had the art department this is where we met with you right mm-hmm. so and i was lucky enough to get into that school and start my kind of education i would say i had some i would say i had some uh mm, tendency to be good at like creating images but i wouldn't say it's something that I considered as my real job because obviously, I didn't Uh have any proper education and and that shows when you don't have strong fundamentals. And that one year that we spent at tad for me was very precious because I kind of solidified everything I knew by just teaching myself basically online. But having teachers there and having like a very good structure and obviously, daily courses that we did with you and some other amazing uh, fantastic instructors just gave me that boost that I needed, you know, and especially like seeing the reaction, as you said, like I like looking back now, like my work was probably terrible, but oh. you, you guys did like a very good at encouraging people. Uh, and I, I felt like, oh, if these guys are telling me that I'm good, I, I better be like, I better, uh, in the end, make it. Uh, and yeah, this is this is the, how the whole thing started. And obviously, me being in the Tajikistan, we had. I, 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 if I remember correctly, we had twelve hours of difference. So when you had okay. lectures, it was night for me, and yes. I, I just had my my son was just born and he was like crying. So it was like a lot of sleepless night nights. Huh. But I think it paid off. And obviously, I think the the year that we had the course, it was one of the harshest winters in our country. So, just to explain what kind of electric, electric, electricity curfew we have. We still have yeah. it occasionally because our country pretty much relies on the electric, uh, on hydroelectric energy as electricity, right? So, mm-hmm. and basically the water coming from glaciers, we have a lot of like high, really high mi- mountains. So, we have like gl- glaciers and the water comes mm-hmm. down and it drives the uh, hydroelectric uh, stations and when it's freezing cold, glaciers, they don't melt. I know, explaining this sometimes to people, they just go like what? Like I never even thought of it, right? So, the water, when it doesn't melt, the the dams that don't have enough water to be released to generate the power. So, if you don't have that, that means there's no electricity, right? So, every day we would would have limits, like let's say they would cut off electricity at 5pm. They would like, Hmm. you would have on... At a.m. I think and then they would cut it off at 5 a.m. Okay. But because I had lectures in the evening, I wasn't able to even watch some of them. So, But when I had a chance to do that, I was like super happy like sitting there. Obviously, my English was pretty bad, I, I wouldn't even talk, I would just like write stuff. Uh, but it was still fantastic. You know, art language doesn't have any language barriers like as, yeah. as long as you do something and uh, you get proper feedback, you can learn anything.
0: Yes, and you were in some classes so it wasn't like it happened every now, I didn't know that, that it was an occasional thing. Yes, it, it was obviously
1: <laughs> when you get like warmer weather or whatever it is like you will get electricity and I was in capital, again I love my country, it's a fantastic beautiful place but obviously the economy is still in shambles, like because of the a lot of different factors. and. In capital it was relatively good but if you li- would live in like suburban area, it was terrible out there. Like people would be without electricity for ages and you know, mm-hmm. for me, it's such a thing like I'm so used to it so whenever something like this happens here, like for example in London, I think one day we didn't have electricity for three hours and everybody was freaking out like in the neighborhood. But I was like, oh, well, that's okay, I had once we had, we didn't have electricity for a week, right? So, nobody died.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, you right. can d- deal with that. Where, where are you now? I'm in London. What time is it there now? Uh, it's I guess it's uh, almost 8.20. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, it's a little afternoon here, it's a little after eight there. Is it raining?
1: Yeah, it was raining a lot today and you know, I would never say this before but I actually prefer raining because you know, because of the climate change recently, it's so hot during Mm -hmm. the summertime and my office as you see, I mean, it's a little bit obvious from here but it's under the roof. So the roof gets heated so much and it came to the point it started smelling sauna inside. You know when the wood gets like really uh, (laughs) humid and it starts like getting Uh a lot of heat, it really smells sauna here for a few days and I was like damn. Yeah, it's not nice but when it's raining, yeah. it's just such a cozy atmosphere. And in general, I love London because the weather here is so mild, you know. It's, it doesn't get too hot, it doesn't get too... I mean, it potentially will get too hot <laughs> very soon in 10 years but it doesn't get too cold either. So, I like it. There's a lot of rain but for some reason I kind of started preferring it.
0: We are in a desert in Southern California. Yes. And the fires have made it so that the air is unhealthy to breathe here. So we're a little envious
1: <laughs> of the rain
0: that you've got there.
1: I know. I shouldn't be complaining about anything.
0: No, you aren't complaining. Yeah, You were actually saying how much you liked it yeah. and that you like London and the mildness and the ca- compared to weather Exactly, Tajikistan. Okay, now since I have not had a conversation with Jama ever before at length, this is going to be the time to find out what happened from the time we were in class together and was it in 2010 or 2011? Uh, Both. I think we started in 2010
1: and Mm -hmm. I did a full year at TED uh, because I was back at home. Uh, But then one day I got this message from a producer uh, on DeviantArt. And this producer registered on the website on VNR just to message me because I could see his join date and he only had like one post that it was just okay. me. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. And he, because I, I was basically doing this stuff but I never considered this as a professional thing. You know, that's why I didn't have any portfolio website till like a few years ago. And I, I just did what I liked and I never felt like, oh, at some point I, I potentially might get hired, right? I, I was hoping to but it wasn't like my, my ultimate goal because I was just enjoying the journey. And this producer, Michael, he was producer at MPC, moving picture company. So he messaged me like, hey, we love your work, we would love to have you on this show. I was like, where? And he was like, UK. And I was like, damn! And you know, for a person from countries like mine... The first thing I think about is not the salary or the project, I just think about how do I get the visa there, right? Because it's not easy, you know, as much as we talk about immigration and all that stuff, it's super difficult, especially if you are invited for something that nobody's doing around. It's like straight away I got suspicious, I knew I will get in some sort of questioning at least, right? Uh-huh. And it happened exactly like that. So, huh. they ended up being very serious about it, they loved my work and again, it didn't happen because just because of my work. I, I, I started to know different people in the industry and one of the artists I, I admired, he recommended me so I'm very grateful for that as well. Uh, and what happened next, uh, so they were like, okay, we want you on board. Can you come next week? I was like, guys, I need a visa, I can't come straight away. So they yeah. were no problems. We will sort it out. So they made an official invitation, and that invitation had a, like an official le- a letter. In yeah. that, when I read that letter, I was like, "There's no way I'm getting a visa because it just sounded so surreal." Right. So basically, mm-hmm. the letter was pretty long, but in a nutshell, it was saying that Jama Jabra was a special talent. There are just few of him of his kind in this world. Blah blah blah. It was a fantastic letter, it kind of boosted my ego but I felt, I felt like, <laughs> again, I'm gonna get in trouble because of that. So this letter with my application goes to English Embassy, British Embassy. No reply. Like literally, zero. Mm. And because it's a small country, I know this is a very funny thing as well, everyone knows each other. Like especially if you're in the capital, you know like people from British embassies. So somehow from... And my brother knew someone in the embassy who who would work there. So they put my name in front and they were like, hey, there's this guy. He made an application. We never heard anything. And they were, oh, this guy. Well, they didn't say it, but it sounded like they read the letter, they just didn't believe it, right? So huh. <laughs> they invited me for interview. And I went there. I took all my work that I did at the art department. And I also by that time I, I got published in a couple of uh like a, Online, not magazines, uh, not online. Actually, there were like uh, artist book, art books from CG Society. Back then, they would they used to do like uh, art books. So a couple yes. of my work were was published there. So I took mm-hmm. all that stuff and I went to the embassy and they were like, they looked at stuff and I was like, well, it seems like this is a real deal, right? So what shall yeah. we do? It? So they had no option to give me a visa. So. And I went there, uh, so yeah, and this is how I ended up uh, working in the industry. first, I, I I was hired for a freelance project, so it was just like two months, and apparently I did well, so I, then I went back, I did like for some time, we did a remote work because it just took some time to get me a permanent kind of invitation for a longer period of time. So exactly eight years ago, like July. 2012. I came to London, and since then I'm here. <laughs>
0: okay, so you've been there since, which means you you seriously relocated. Yeah, in 2012. But before you went, you went there for two months. You said yes. It was the end of 2011, and
1: okay. this is where I actually had to give up studying in the art department. And I messaged right. everyone that guys, I love this place, but I'm already working, so it's just too much on my plate. So I wasn't wasn't able to keep the pace, you know, because it was yeah. a lot of work, a lot of homework and because I was fully employed, it was just too much so I had to stop. So basically, I did a full year at the art department and that's exactly where I had uh, classes with you, uh, with Ron Lemon. Like it it just was a fantastic experience again, so, uh, it yeah. was amazing that I had this opportunity and I'm always grateful for that and I message you a few times as well. just saying that how grateful I am (laughs) for that.
0: Well, Jama, I felt like it was the most exciting time of education in my career. I feel like I was starting another wave of that but up to that point, I had never seen so many students coming from different parts of the world who were motivated uh, not to get any kind of a diploma, they were motivated to learn. You all were motivated to get your skills and it came together and it sort of grew into this blazing thing where everybody stimulated each other to get better and you are one of the... You were, You may be the fastest success story <laughs> that came out of there because you didn't last which that does happen sometimes where a person doesn't finish their education because somebody finds them <laughs> and yeah. recruits them. Tell me more about was it Mike or Michael who found you? Yes. And how did he find you? There was this fantastic artist, Andre Wolin, a fantastic Swedish concept
1: artist and he was, I was admiring him a lot and obviously, like a couple of times I just messaged him and so we started like chatting very briefly and he was on the project, he was doing some conceptual work for MPC for Michael Uh, and then he had to kind of finish it uh, in terms of like doing math paintings and all that stuff but he was busy on something else and they were like, hey, do you know someone? And he was like, yeah, this, this is a friend of mine, uh, Jama, so that's how they got in touch with me. And obviously, they checked my work and they were like, oh, we, we want to get this guy in. That's how it all started. So, first I started working in commercials, it was MPC advertising but I always had my eyes on film. You know, film is something that I adore from being like a very little kid, that's something that I, I will always wanted not to do, I never imagined that I will be able to work on films. I just loved the whole thing, right? And when I saw that the same company in London, they, they also have a film branch. back. In, they did a lot of movies like Harry Potter back then. Obviously, right now, they're quite huge. They did Jungle Book and all those like cool movies. And I was like, damn, I want to do that. But I was mainly doing conceptual work and map painting for advertising which was also a fantastic experience. And I was still like drawing and painting because like uh, matte painting is quite technical, you don't draw and paint that much even though like you can potentially but most of it is just a lot of reading, a lot of photo manipulation and stuff. And I I, I still had the similar situation when I would do my daily work like exactly like in Tajikistan and after work, I would just sit down and do conceptual work, just concept art. And yeah, by the time it paid off because there was a time where they needed some extra artists in the film department, and they were like, Do you guys have someone? They were asking uh, uh, advertising department, they were, Oh, we have Jama, he can paint, right? <laughs> and then they, they hired me for, uh, if I think my first movie was Guardians of Galaxy or X Men, one of them. And yeah, and then it started rolling from there. They realized I, I know what I'm doing and I have a potential. And uh, in 2014, I left MPC to join Framestorf as a full time on film concept art. So, there I started just doing film concept art and in 2016, I, I joined ILM at, again, they had a London, London branch. And yeah, in 2006, I think it was 2017, maybe end of it when I left uh, ILM because I wanted, uh, I just wanted to freelance a little bit and since then I'm freelancing mainly with Lucasfilm doing some Star Wars stuff.
0: I see. So, you are a freelancer again.
1: Yes. It was also a very interesting choice for me because like you know, it's, it's a very personal thing to talk about but a lot of people could relate with it but like we we did touch up a little bit on the visa situation you know and when I was here, I was constantly on a visa mm-hmm. which is, I love my work but obviously being on the visa, it's almost like there's a. This situation which is not always granted, right? Because if I lose my job, I lose my visa. So, plain simple. I see. Right? Yeah. Because like the, the studios, they were sponsoring me and there wasn't a single time when I was like in trouble but it still feels very unsecure, you know? It feels mm-hmm. always like there is a chance that you might lose your right to be here because mm-hmm. what people take as granted, a lot of guys like me out there. It's not granted for that. And for six years I was working in studios and after six years I was eligible to apply for citizenship, which I did so I'm right now I'm a British citizen so I don't See. need to be in the studios anymore and finally once I got my citizenship I, it was so funny when I told my mom she cried like because she really felt like it is a big achievement even though for many people it looks like it's something really granted and you would have it by default but Again, like having a British passport opened possibilities for me to probably have a break to do what I like and to have a little bit more control uh, of my life, you know. Otherwise when you work from nine to six, you always have to do it five days a week no matter what, right? Even like if you have holidays, you still it's still like very restricting. But again, I love working with studios, I met most fantastic people, artists and other guys in the studios. I think it's a fantastic environment. I would do it again luckily but I just don't know when. For now, I'm just enjoying the freelance
0: process. Okay, well, this is interesting. So, the working for a company and being an employee for a company mm-hmm. made it so that you were at least for the time mm-hmm. secure with a visa but not, not in the long run.
1: Well, you know, industry is a very fragile thing, you know, especially yeah. like right now with the COVID, everything is kind of like in shambles. So, you never know. Let's say at least I was always in the concept art department. Like the, this is probably the safest place because let's say if in VFX industry, if the movie get canceled, uh, a lot of people lose jobs, right? Because yes. there's simply nothing to do. But the concept art department was always, the art department, what they call it. It's always the safe place because there's always work for, for, for the us because you mm-hmm. just have some pre-production, some movies that are coming out like in four or five years. I never felt like potentially that I can lose my job, there was never a point where this, something like that happened but it's just natural fear I would say, <laughs> you know, it's just like yes. it's not easy and it and it's just amount of papers you have to go through. Like right now, my wife is re- re- applying for her visa because even though we are married, she still needs to get a visa every two years. And it's just really stressful, you know? Like yes. you, kind of, you kind of need to really prove that you have finances to be in this country, you need to prove that you have a job and it creates a lot of stress I would say. Would you like to stay in London? Yeah, I, I like it. Uh, we are... I think we're doing great here okay. uh, there was a point where I, I was thinking to do some work in America, uh, but my wife said no <laughs> because really? she has yeah, she has a fantastic job here in london, she okay. works she is also in the creative field she's a creative director so and i I do respect that you know but yeah. again, it, it might change you know like I'm, I'm so lost actually in terms of my like I would call it identity, like when people ask me where are you are from, I was like I'm from Tajikistan. But I also, there was a period of my life when I lived in Turkey for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I know Turkish culture very well and I speak Turkish as well. So mm-hmm. now it's been almost eight years here in London and I'm a British citizen. So I would say I'm just a universal person, <laughs> you know, I'm enjoying like this different uh, cultures, and if there would be a point where I would need to migrate somewhere else, I would like, I would gladly do it because every time you go to new places, you learn so much, you know, about the culture, about people. You just meet and you meet new people. You absorb so many uh, different cultures. It's fantastic on from any angles, you know. So I wouldn't mind going somewhere else.
0: I want to hear what happened when you relocated, though, when you went there for two months. How did your family respond to that if you're willing to talk about it and then when all of a sudden we're going to move and we're going to actually move to London and live there, it's not just going to be that dad is going there for a couple months for a gig, we're going to relocate it. How did that go? Well, I
1: think I relocated first, my my first serious relocation happened when I went to Turkey. I was 17 and obviously, this is the first time I was like, oh my god, I'm going to be like alone for a long period of time. And we handled, we handled it pretty well. My family knew and also we had a civil war back then. Mm. So there was no point for me kind of like staying there because it was quite unstable situation as well. So relocating to London was second time for me and again, we, I had a good job. We had the family-run business in, in Tajikistan. My brother was in charge of that and I was helping him out. Obviously, there was a period of time where he was quite critical about it because he said, "Like, damn, we had this whole business; you can't just go and leave this behind." Wow. But I think now, like since, like he 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 now understands why I did it, and he really appreciates that uh, that he let me do this, you know. And I, I appreciate that he let me do this, and he, I think he fully understands that I had to move forward, you know, because uh, London was a new challenge for me. Again, I felt like. I have a talent, I have a tendency to do certain things very well but still it was a big challenge because uh, I didn't have much experience. So again, coming here m- m- meant like a fresh start for me career-wise uh, and uh, I'm, g- I'm glad it happened, you know. We, yes. we, I'm glad it happened, definitely.
0: Well, John, this may sound weird. Yes. but. It is so refreshing to know that it wasn't all easy for you because Mm -hmm. when I've seen students turn into celebrity artists, one of the common factors is that they were not necessarily that good as students and it's happened this way historically too. I mean, Bernie Wrightson included in that book a look back, he included some of the stuff he did as a teenager, and it was not that impressive, certainly not, I mean it did show commitment and that this guy's really into this, he cares about the art. But you would never look at his early work and know that he was going to do the virtuoso pen and ink work that he did in the 70s and that's, that's pretty common and that's also encouraging because it lets students know that I don't have to start out with such skill. You on the other hand, as a student... We're doing such impressive work that we didn't know what to make of it. <laughs> Where, who is this guy? How is it? We we had the project of reducing values uh, and understanding composition in the fewest possible values. We had the uh, issue of taking something that exists, blurring it, turning it into an abstract, and then reimagining it. As another representational piece, so that we don't let the subject matter dictate the design, and you did this in ways. Do you remember it was an inside of a whale or something?: Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> i still I
1: still use that exercise. It's a fantastic exercise.
0: yeah, yeah, you you did it in ways, and by the way i, I there are i'm I'm seeing some other students who are picking this up. Right now, that are my students now, that they are they're just knocking us out with the ability to reinvent based on an abstract composition. But you ran with that like nobody I had ever seen. There were a few students <laughs> who did you. it well, but you did it so well that we were we were a bit aghast at it. And so now the reason I mention that is because uh this podcast, a few podcasts ago, we did a book report on on uh, the War of Art and we did one shortly thereafter called Art and Fear which did not mean as much to me now as it did 17 years ago uh, when I was dealing more with fear. The thing about it is that it doesn't seem to an outsider who looks at your career cursorily that you ever really had to deal with much of a war with Quality and that you didn't have much fear, and so if the truth is otherwise, I want to hear more about your process and your self-assessment. But one thing we see is that you had other struggles, that like relocating, yeah, uh, and and a brother who says, "Hey, you're going to leave the family business," and that nothing nothing comes free, nothing that's really good and long term. There's no price to pay. So I'm I'm encouraged to hear a bit more about this and I want to hear more also about before Tad happened, how you were learning and what your influences were and how the family, uh, how the family regarded your talent
1: Yeah. So, basically, yeah, this is a very, probably the most bumpy period of my time, I would say, of my life. So, uh, I graduated in 2004 as an aerospace engineer. So, before I even did art, I was like fully into rocket science, right? But I was a terrible student. I was like, I would admit I got like mediocre uh, notes. I was always like the the worst student in the class because I just didn't enjoy it. Like, I, I entered this industry hoping that I will be able more to design because I love airplanes. I just, when I was a kid, I would love, I love drawing them and painting. And I felt like this is gonna be, this is gonna have some of it. But it turned out to be very math heavy, like physics, math. And I was like, damn, this is not exactly what I want to do. So I spent six years, that six and a half years there, trying to finish this uni. And the day I finished it, I looked back and I was like, I don't want to do this, <laughs> right? And I, I was 24 back then and you know, it's, and I, I see this even the traces of it these days, even probably more where you, when you hit this age, people expect from you stuff uh, like something, right? For example, your parents, obviously, the, usually parents are the friendliest people, right? They support you. But community and society expect you to be something like, hey, dude, we invested so much time and money in some cases in you. Let's return that, right? Like, what what are you going to do? And back then, being 24 years old, I knew I know nothing, right? Like, yes, I did study this thing, but I don't think I will enjoy doing it. I don't think I will achieve something valuable because I have no motivation, you know? And obviously, that all piles up and makes you so insecure. Now I see how, and also, uh, this is something I would love to bring up again. When I was in TED, even though you say my work was good, but I think what was more important for me to, getting, to having this encouragement from your end, right? Not from you, from Ron, from Sterling, from all the teachers. They were like very encouraging, right? They were giving us this motivation and this boost we needed. University was a complete opposite of that. I've been told for six and a half years that if my notes are not higher than 3.04, for whatever the number was, I'm gonna fail forever, right? And this message comes directly and indirectly from many different ways, right? They just show you the successful students, oh, look at this guy, he went to MIT because his notes were above certain number.
0: Wow. Wow. Oh, gosh.
1: And it's a very universal thing, like our education system pretty much repeats that And it's just like I remember being so insecure and so uncertain about what I want to do, right? But I only had this one little passion which I loved, and I was able to do it with no sleeping at all. Was drawing, right? Like if they would give me time not to study aerospace engineering, I would just draw uh, different like airplanes and imaginary vehicles and stuff like that. And I think the, the good indication of my uh, tendency toward art was when I, I I took this course which was called hyper hyper hypersonic flow which basically deals with like rocket reentry flow around the vehicle right so it, it it sounds as rocket science as it is right and I entered this exam and I read the question a few times I didn't get anything like what I was even asked about right so all I did I drew a very nice wing profile and a fantastic like. Flow representation around it, just the drawing, right? So when the results came back, it was saying 70 out of 100, and I was like, "Damn, how did I get such a high note?" Because I felt like I didn't, I didn't write any valuable information in that exam. And the note on my paper was saying 70 for drawing, zero for knowledge, right? (laughs) Oh, wow. Exactly that time I understood, okay, this is something I probably need to pursue as my career, right? But again, after six and a half years of doing something, imagine, and this is where additional stress kind of piles up. You studied for so long and now you're saying you want to do something different, right? It's very hard, especially these days when it's such, you know, like... These days it's even more dramatic because it's almost like you see all these YouTube celebrities or people doing po- like uh, streaming or doing like you know like with Instagram and in YouTube it's much more obvious that there are there are people who are successful uh, and it's much more easier to get depressed because you think like damn I'm doing I can't do any of that right so at least I didn't know about like the other side of success I knew I'm not successful. And I just, and I knew I had this passion for drawing so I started drawing again and I started painting and I discovered Photoshop in the meantime. So, I started doing all those things but then I had to go back to my country and I started to work as a graphic designer because what I was um, educated for, I didn't have any proper offers and I just didn't want to do it basically. And then at some point, a friend of mine made me, I received this call from a friend of mine and he was like... Hey, remember like you were doing some graphic design and painting? So I was like, yeah, sure, I still do a little bit of that. He was like, damn, we need a person like you, we have like a small-scale studio. I was like, even without hearing where the studio is, I said yes because I won't just want to do this. And it ended up being in, in Turkey in a very small district, it's very close to Syria, it's very close to where the war zone right now is. So, we uh, the, the reason why they made the studio there because it had like a huge industrial area there and all the companies, they needed some sort of illustration or like graphic design lo- logo or something like that, right? So, yeah. And for two years, I was there and this is, was the time when I discovered concept art because this is probably the first like the early beginnings of YouTube's and uh, uh, G- Gnomon was big back then. So, I saw this video where someone was doing concept art and I was like, damn, you can do money with that? I was like, the whole thing like my my world completely switched over to something else when I, I saw that. And obviously, I started watching videos, all I, I, I was able to do is just to watch the videos and start like practicing. Yeah. And at, and at some point, I think it was Fang uh, who mentioned that he's using like Rackham tablet and I was like, damn, that's why my, my paintings look terrible because I don't have the, the tablet but obviously, it was damn expensive back then and imagine for a person who just starting out like, like it probably was two salaries of mine, like monthly salaries to buy one.
0: Wow. So
1: I, 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 I collected the money, I ordered and back then there's no Amazon so even like if you order something, you it, it will take like three months to arrive, right? Huh. So and when the tablet arrived and I was like, now I'm going to be the greatest artist. And now I unleash my full potential just to realize that I made my first stroke and it looked nothing like what the professionals were doing. Yeah. And this is was the turning point when I realized it's not about the tools, it's about the, the kind of fundamental understanding of main principles of art. So, this yeah. is where I started actually uh, doing what we did in TED but very uh, in a, in a very unorganized way, right? I was just like, okay, I need to learn about composition, how do I do that? So, I started reading books on composition, started watching videos, started practicing composition and just uh, trying to level up my fundamentals and it took two years and I gave up because I realized I don't have any talent to do this. You know, especially perspective was really hard for me to wrap my head around. I just couldn't wrap my head. Around how can you have more than two vanishing points, for example, this was one one of my biggest struggles back then. And oh. because there was no one who could who was near me to direct me, I literally remembered giving it up. I was like, okay, well i I think I have a potential, but it's not like something extraordinary. So I stopped doing that, and I mainly f- uh, redirected my main focus towards graphic design, which which I was a little bit better at, you know, because in the end, I was just dealing with graphic shapes. And again, now looking back, I understand this, my whole experience with graphic design was also helping me out to understand design principles basically. Uh, but as a tool, I couldn't just master drawing and painting in Photoshop, which just everything I did looked very mushy, the values were off and stuff like that. Now I understand what was wrong but back then it just looked to me that I'm not great at this, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And because there was no one around who could point point out what what I was doing wrong. I I, I just basically, I stopped, like for a year, I just didn't do any paintings, and then (gasps) after a year, I picked it up again, and I I was like, it was 2008, and I did a couple of paintings, and I was like, damn, this is looking awesome, right? (laughs) Well, probably it wasn't, but at least I was satisfied, I was like, I'm doing it. And then the more I was doing it, I, I started like, I think first time I posted online was late 2000, mid 2009. And I posted my stuff and I remember my first post on org was just black and white thumbnails and people, wow, this is looking awesome, fantastic and maybe like after five comments, uh, someone was like, "Hey, we would love to see your color stuff," and I was like, "Sure." And I had zero color painting. I was so terrible with color, like because I, I just I, I just mastered values. So my brain started to kind of see see the shapes and just in plain values. And color was a different beast, right? So I had to spend more time on color. But I think what what was interesting that uh, with my art career, I knew that. If I avoid certain problems I have, it's just gonna hit me back, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. we cover up certain things we're not good at, we create a lot of excuses not to work on those because it's hard, you know, like color needs a year or two or maybe more of practice. Yes. And now, like after 10 plus years as I'm teaching myself, I see this in students as well, you know, this frustration slash disbelief slash... Insecurity, and also the fact, like that, students sometimes realize that it's going to take a lot of time to master certain things. Uh, this could be very discouraging for them. And mm-hmm. f- I knew for me, it was a long journey. I still have a lot of things I struggle with, but at least I'm ready to face those now. You know, like I knew sure. it's going to take me solid few years if I want to master certain things. But that's the way it is. For some people, it's faster. Uh, but some for, pe- some for some people it's slower but in the end, if you put your effort into it and you stay consistent and persistent, you can do that.
0: You were doing it for so long without structure. Absolutely. On your own, I think as soon as you were given some structure, you were really strong within that structure. That was what you needed is that you've got deadlines each week, teachers... Uh, Absolutely. Curriculum. It was just the
1: best experience I had. I was very... Grateful that it happened to me, uh, yeah. and again, like most of the things, I felt like I was doing uh, by by my gut feeling. Like when I was presented design principles, I was like, "Damn, I'm doing all those things," but I just didn't know they they are called design principles, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you they we would talk about composition and abstract stuff, I was like, "Damn, I was doing that." Yeah, yeah. But and you know, I think like also what was interesting when I started shifting my career. Uh, towards what I, I do right now and at some point I started teaching as well, I just realized how education could potentially ruin the way you do certain things. Like for example, the thing that you mentioned with the abstract thinking, you know, it's something that we are, we do a lot as kids, right? Like kid, yes. kids love to imagine yeah. and there is always this point where parents start telling kids like, hey, you got to get serious, right? Like forget your imaginary friends and I think this is the first starting point when we, as artists, we start to give up doing art. You know, like kids stop being creative when people, either their parents or uh, the society, the school, or whatever people surround them, they start making fun of them because they are being unusual. I would say, like they being huh. creative. You know, for example, if you sing in the in in the class and. Uh, and at some point, people will start like, oh, stop clowning, right? Or stop, stop doing these things. Maybe that guy meant to, or that girl meant to become a famous singer, but just because someone was judging them and because they were being unusual, I would say, in the end, that kind of like changed their career. So, yeah, like I have my son, and whenever my son wants to do something, I, I go, like, do whatever you want.
0: Yeah, you'll do it well with him because you've got enough insight over how that whole arc happens.
1: Exactly. And especially in my case, it was also double challenging because again, my family, my mom, who passed away recently, unfortunately, and my dad, they were super supportive. They were like always, whenever I had this idea, they were saying like do this, and that gave me a lot of energy. My brother was also very supportive even though he didn't want me to leave but he he knew that I got to do that step and these days he's super supportive as well. But I would say because there's no industry, what I was trying to do sounded like a sci-fi movie, right? Like because for some people, they they don't consider drawing and painting as a serious job, right? Yeah. And occasionally like when, again, friends of mine, they all know what I do but they would be. Occasionally, cases where people would ask me, "What do I do?" and I was like, "Well, I do, I draw, I paint." And they were like, "Oh, you do cartoons?" So I was like, "Yeah, I do cartoons." And obviously, <laughs> the, the next question they they ask me would be like, "Like, is it like, do you consider getting a serious job?" Right? Like, yes. It is a it is a serious job. Yeah. And now, obviously, I take those comments. They sound funny to me, but back then, when you're doing your first steps it was really hard because you doubt yourself already because you just graduated, you spent six and a half years doing something completely different, now you want to experience this new journey, you already have a bag of, huge bag of insecurities inside it and now on top of that, people surrounding you, even if they don't want to hurt you, they still, for them this looks like, hey dude, like you gotta capitalize on what you had before, why would you like challenge yourself? So, that's why I decided for my son if he's 30 years old, he decides to do something else. Just do it.
0: I think coming from an environment that is not conversant with professional art is a an extra burden. It's, it's an extra thing that you have to get past because nobody's going to understand it. If I've seen people who don't have that problem. Their parents understand it, they've been in the industry. Uh, and how often people who come from environments whose parents have been in the industry decide they don't want to go into that industry because yes. uh, they don't have they don't have the illusions that people on the outside of it have. Oh, of all, wouldn't it be great to just make art all day? What an easy, what a wonderful life. They're they are aware of how challenging it is, but at least there's a door, there's a path that's already been trod into there. And when you're coming from the outside into it. That is one extra thing is that your family doesn't understand. The insecurity does get piled on. You've got it inside and you've got it outside but you did it.
1: It was a very difficult journey but I think I I realized that my success or my achievement is only mainly in my hands, right? It pretty much depends on how much time I spend on certain things, if I can stay focused. Like even these days, when I teach i I show and tell people how much I work even today, like I have like my daily exercise when I'm trying to improve my anatomy, which I always consider as an endless effort, right? There's always something you want to learn about anatomy it, and it's just a never ending process, you know, like yes, I do work on this project on these projects, but still there's a lot of areas I would love to develop myself and and obviously, I do believe the A big part of this success was just my natural curiosity towards this, you know. Once you start having fun, it's really hard to stop anyone.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I wasn't having that when I did the aerospace uh, engineering uh, part. But once I started doing art, like nobody is forcing me. Sometimes it's 3am and I'm I'm like, oh my god, I got to try this VR thing, right? No one is forcing me. I'm just naturally curious, I would love to experience, uh, learn something new. And once that combines with continuous effort, it's almost like a win-win situation, you know? The only difference it takes for me took five, six plus years till I was hired. For some people, it might take 10 years. And this is where a lot of artists, we have problem, you know? Because even a year sounds like, oh my god, this is like a long period of time, right? But but now looking back when I was like... I was uh, migrating to UK, I felt like, oh my god, I'm gonna be 39 by the time I even probably could get citizenship, is it worth doing this? And now that just time flew by and and now I'm 40. So, uh, again, time is something very relative and as long as you stay, stay focused on something and if you're enjoying it, you should get somewhere. It's just a matter of time how fast and how long it's gonna take.
0: Well, Jama, that's one of the most valuable things that you could offer and I believe it deeply that the love of the work, the enjoyment of the work. There's nothing better to start with than that and then you combine that with the determination to work even when it's difficult to love it so much that you'll go through the hard parts is those two things together as you said, it's a win-win. Uh, it's not an easy win-win, the second part of it is what's so difficult. It's interesting. Uh I'm going to tell you a
1: very interesting story. So it basically when I was in tad we are uh obviously we we would get different tasks, right? So we would like hey, do some like we had life drawing sort of thing where we doing photo studies. And there was this uh, this assignment where you have to walk out and do like a plein air uh session. And I remember I did two of them, one of them was completely unsuccessful so we have this botanic garden in in our capital and I went there with my pencil and with with just like some paper and I was planning to sit down in the woods and do like fantastic, like do like a tree, like a branch study or something like that. So. I I got in trouble because security guards came over and they're like, "What are you doing?" Right? So <laughs> I was like, I, I had really hard time explaining what exactly I was doing, you know, because if you say I w- I pretty much said what I was doing. I was like, I'm just sketching, and they just didn't get it. <laughs> and the second try, I had uh, we had this house that we built for my parents. Uh, uh, we just basically like there was a rough period of my life where we they had to migrate to. A different country, which is Uzbekistan, our neighbor country, because we had civil war, and after ten years of that, we reunited, and we were like me and my brother. We got to build a house for them, so we built a house, and it was like really nice place. It was this hard to explain, but it's a very nice. It had a very nice view, and I was basically doing my plane air out there. You know, I had my laptop and my cables all around me, and I was doing all my tad assignments like drawing, like the landscape out there. But the sad story is that our government decided to build a a huge park in that area. So, they demolished this house like recently it happened like literally a few months Uh ago. So, all those memories are gone but the story is still out there.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry and I'm glad that you're still here and able to tell the story. Yeah. Tell me about what made you want to be an artist in the first place.
1: You know it actually happened very it happened very gradually it There wasn't a point where I just woke up and I was like, "I want to do this." I always enjoyed doing art, like back in the days when I was a kid, I was just watching a movie and I, tr- I would try to do like little sketches of what I've seen. It's something that I loved. I realized that i could I think the good sign was that i I could sit for hours and hours doing art, and nothing re- nothing else really kept me this. Focused on something you know that that basically meant that I'm enjoying it you know i'm I was just doing it, and I would look at the clock and I spend like five hours drawing something right so but then obviously it's a very narrow line where i yes, I was enjoying it, but in as you grow older, like you have to make money, you have to kind of sustain a family and all those things it's there's always like I'm grateful that I have this rare combination where I can enjoy my my work and also it paid pays the bills and it just I don't need to worry about like all that stuff you know i I just need to worry about doing great work and hopefully if I keep doing it, I will still have work and I will be still employed but again this is this happened very gradually for me, as I mentioned before we i had to go through different things, you know, engineering first didn't work. I actually, it wasn't first my first choice. First, I started as a uh, computer engineer. So, I did programming for a year. I was like, nah, I, I can't do that, this is just too complex for me. And I gave up that and I started aerospace engineering, finished that one, didn't enjoy that journey as well. Then I started my bumpy, very long art career which started first as a graphic designer slash kind of like illustrator, and then slowly transitioned into concept artists
0: and tell me again, you graduated from where and what was the degree? So
1: the degree was aerospace engineering, so i'm I'm a proper rocket scientist. It was in Turkey uh, so uh, in ninety seven I, I I went to Turkey and I lived there for ten years, six and a half of which was me studying at this uni and yeah, it was an interesting six and a half years I was uh, Terrible student, I would say. Again, I think like my main problem was that some of the subjects we were told, I didn't really enjoy them. They were like, why am I learning this, right? The ones that I really enjoyed, I nailed them, right? Uh, but uh, most of it was really hard for me to kind of keep going.
0: It was very technical, I assume?
1: It is. It is it's it's pretty, very math and physics heavy. So, it was very little art, like we got to do a little bit of 3D like modeling, 3D modeling uh, jet prototypes and air, like aircraft engines. That part I enjoyed a lot, right? Yeah. But whenever it was getting too technical, I, but I still don't regret it, you know, back in the, like looking back, I think that gave me a very solid understanding of problem solving because engineering is all about problem solving, right? Whenever you see a beautiful airplane, or a fantastic rocket. It looks fantastic but the form kind of follows the function in most of the cases. So that really taught me how to approach any of my projects from a problem solving uh, point of view. So, even today when I'm working on something, even if it's completely art related uh, and design related, there's still a lot of things to solve. Like even if you're working, working out a composition, right, you're always asking yourself a set of questions which most of the time is like solving a problem. How do I make this composition striking? How, how can I balance my values and all that stuff? So, uh, yeah, it really helps, helped me a lot and I, I'm still using a lot of those things.
0: Yeah, I think that even people who are not, uh, have no inclination toward engineering, it's a reason to study and to master perspective because even if they're not going to use perspective, Because Mm -hmm. it's going through a process where rather than when you come up against a problem, you avoid it Mm -hmm. or evade it, that you embrace it and solve it and that's a pattern of how to go about a work of art that I've got problems to solve that even if they have nothing to do with perspective, they have to do with how I'm trying to get an emotional response, you're still in the mode of saying problem, how will I solve it? And I think that that when you talk about the difficulty of those technical challenges, you were forced to carry through. How about stuff you loved as a child and as a teenager, uh, art and movies? Well, it's also a very interesting part of the story because
1: I grew up in Soviet Union. I was 11 or 10 years old when Soviet Union collapsed and you probably know more than other people about Soviet Union, at least you... You experienced parallel to the western world, we had this like crazy <laughs> Soviet Union world. And it was a very closed country, uh, so we didn't have much of a western culture. I remember like if, you, if someone had a colorful magazine, like it doesn't matter what type of magazine, it could be like I remember I had this uh, just... Uh, I would say like a catalogue of clothing and shoes, and they also had a toy section. Oh my god, that was like i i I think like I spent so much time looking at those toys because we never had those colorful kind of even images right because it it just looked way better in Western countries. and wow. then, for example, movies we we didn't have them officially in the theaters. Maybe we had Star Wars, like maybe some other movies but most of the movies they were illegal. Really? Yeah, it was illegal to distribute western movies Uh, and I remember my first experience, I was six years old. And my brother told me we are doing something tonight, and I was like, "Wow!" It was like you know, it's almost like a big thing. He was like, "We're going to see a film." I was like, "Oh my god, this is the first time ever I'm seeing a Western film." So because they don't, they wouldn't show those on TV. Uh Almost it was like almost like this basement type of uh, apartment, and you walk down, and it's super dark, and there's this little TV. And a lot of people, it's, imagine a cinema but instead of having a big white screen, you have this little TV and it was the only colorful one that I, I, I would see like at six years old. Like it was the first time I'm seeing things in color, right? Wow. And then the title goes on and it was like, I obviously I didn't know English but it was, it, it was saying something and the, uh, if, also the funny thing that all the movies, they were dubbed by one guy. <laughs> You would just have one guy dubbing female, male characters, everything, right? <laughs> and everybody knew this guy because he would dub every movie. There were just a bunch of those guys uh, because it was illegal if you, if you get caught doing that, you go to prison. So, obviously, it was very old on the cover. So, the title went on and then the translation said like Terminator and I was mind blown, you know? The, the first movie I've seen in my life was the first Terminator.
0: Really? At six years old?
1: Yes, I was six years old. I think Terminator came out in 84 but I watched it in 86 because it apparently took some time to get translated and all that stuff and to cross the borders of Soviet uh, Union and I was mind blown, you know, just for a person who never experienced such as like special effects and uh, there was no CG in first Terminator but it's still, I was still so mind blown and inspired and so, I started drawing all this endoskeletons as much as I could remember and obviously, uh, we would get some photos and I remember like I had this colorful poster of Terminator in my room. It was something that I really admired and I, 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 ju- I would just copy, do copy of those uh, fantastic images that I've seen. And Again, this this continued later into nineties. You know, only nineties everything opened up and we started having more of Western cultures. But even then, like when I migrated to UK, I was amazed that I know nothing about like comic book culture because we simply never had it. Huh? We never had it. I remember my first time working on X Men, and everybody in the room were like, "Oh, remember that Sentinel from seventies uh, comic books." I was like, I don't remember <laughs> because I never read them, so I had to catch up on things. And actually, I always felt I'm lucky because I I kind of had a fresh look on things. Like even if I had to work on uh, like all those m- movies uh, recently, uh, uh, even if I didn't have much experience from my childhood watching those, or didn't have like I didn't know about uh, too much about the legacy of those in uh, as I was a kid I had to catch up on things and i think like it's also a great thing because at some point I had a fresher look at, at certain things
0: you had so little yeah and you did so much with it do you think that that was an advantage in a way is that you you're you're deprived of all of this entertainment that kids like so much and yes. then when you get a little bit of it it ignites a passion for it Absolutely. I, I think whatever I experienced, it,
1: in the end it played out and it helped me a lot because first, I, did, I never took things as granted, you know. Like even in TED times, you know, like I remember first, before even TED started, they sent out this list of supplies that you need and I just r- went through those, I was like, where did I find all this stuff, right? It's just every, like literally every item I read I I just couldn't even translate it because it was so alien you know like I I keep forgetting what were, what were uh, what were the colorful kind of crayons that we used there was a specific uh, prisma colors no not prisma colors John English loved those and his father Mark English also loved those it's almost like a
0: oh were they were were they pastels yes uh, pastels. pastels yes
1: yes not oil ones the, the soft ones they almost like a chalk or something like that so, obviously, I went to book like art store in, 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 in my city. I didn't even ask about if they have it. I knew they don't have any of that stuff, right? So, I found this very similar one, the, but it was oil pastel. It was much hard, harder to use because you couldn't smudge it because once you put the stroke, it stays there because it was oil-based, you couldn't really smudge it. Okay. But that helped me a lot to a lot to kind of develop my confidence in my strokes, you know, because I wasn't able to raise and smudge and to create those gradients. So that's the only thing I used. And also paper-wise, I just used the photocopy paper. And I remember when we were in Tad, some of the students asked me, "What kind of paper do you use?" <laughs> I was like, "What do you mean? Are there like more than one type of papers?" <laughs> it's <was> like, <laughs> and obviously once I came to UK. Uh, to, to the UK and you go to bookstore, it's like heaven, you know, you've got everything you need. Oh. But then again, does it help you to become a better artist? Of course, like using the proper paper probably would but I think like it's not something that would stop you if you have a passion. So, I had to do, just use a photocopy paper and and but what the downside of it, I didn't know that there are bigger formats of paper. Because let's say you're doing like a full figure, sometimes you would love to have a bigger uh, bigger paper because it's just easier to do certain marks, you know. And it's almost like I was whole my life I was just thumb naming, you know, because I always had like a really small piece of papers. So, I wish I had bigger. But when, when I uh, migrated to the UK, like we had a lot of artists here and we went to live drawings a lot. And, slowly I discovered new ways of doing things. So, it was a fresh experience, it was great.
0: Well, if if ever there was an argument for limitations bringing out your creativity, you embody that. (laughs) And you're also helping give me insight into why the group in that time was so appreciative. A number of you were so appreciative. And I'd never quite had that from a group of students, where every, everything that was given was like, "Oh, wow, we can use this." And uh, you, you definitely had that. Now I'm starting to understand why is that you had so little uh, in uh, previous to it. To not have seen, you had not seen a movie or a western movie, a movie from the United States. Until you yeah. were six years old? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no. And it was Terminator, the first Terminator? Uh, yeah, because the
1: national TV that we had that would be broadcasting, we only had two or three channels on TV anyway. Mm-hmm. So, literally two or three channels, a couple of Russian ones, maybe one local one, and that's it. And they would occasionally show movies, but uh-huh. and no Terminator for sure uh, and no like... Uh, again, like it all changed once Soviet Union collapsed, just by miracle in a day you would have all the Western products as well. You know, it's just the way the economy was built and the kind of uh, yeah. philosophy of uh, communist regime. Yeah. was kind of really weird. But again, like in Russia and in, in Soviet Union, you have fantastic artists. Like art was really uh, had a very Huge level. It's still like very high level. Still, uh, my favorite painters and drawers are from Soviet period of time. You know, they have yeah. like a very specific touch. The way they, especially drawings, like charcoal drawings. Uh, I love fetching. Obviously, fetching migrated yes. to US. Uh, but there are a couple of other Russian uh, uh, artists that I really adore. They had like a very specific, strong uh, look to their
0: artwork right, and of course Fetchin was doing his best work before he came to the u s yeah uh, as well uh, w- 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 other artists that had an influence on you when you were younger well again, when I was younger I, I didn't really
1: know that i will be and and you, oh there's another additional story on top of that my parents are artists, but uh not they, they they're not painters uh but my dad is a belly dancer is that right yes yeah, so and my mom was uh, uh, what would you call it, like a light, lighting director in the puppeteering theater. So, she she knew a lot about color and all that stuff. But every time we brought up uh, the conversation of me being an artist, my dad would say, no, I don't want you to be the artist. I was like, why dad? He was like, because the artists are the most damaged people in the world, right? <laughs> so, mm. And uh, for the, with them, I kind of understand it because when Soviet collapsed, it hit them really hard because you know when you have terrible economy, when you have civil war, uh, no one needs artists. It's a harsh reality but this is the period of time that probably artists are most vulnerable, you know. And my dad used to be also a very famous actor as well. So, he... And all of a sudden, no one needs you, no one knows about you, no one talks about you. So. I, I do believe our being artists is a very interesting journey but it also has its own challenges, you know. Uh, because in the end, we would love to be appreciated and when there is a situation where there are much more important things, at least in that situation, it really hit them hard. Like you know, I remember even my dad and mom when they realized there's no point to work because there's no money and the question is like, oh well, what will, what will we do now? So obviously, they didn't want me to experience this. But that all changed, you know. Like these days, my dad and my mom, when she was alive, she she was always so proud of me. You know, she would she would ask me, "Oh, tell me about this movie you worked on," and I would tell her.
0: She got to see that it paid off, and your dad gets to see that it paid off.
1: Exactly, and even like my mother-in-law and my my wife's mother and father, they also appreciate. There's a funny story about them as well. Like when I worked on Ready Player One for uh, for Steven Spielberg. Uh, Obviously, when the movie was out, they, they went to see the film and usually now this is another funny thing. In our countries, they cut the, uh, they used to cut the, the credits part, you know, because no one is watching credits, right? Like in Western countries, you, you have to have it by low, right? Yeah. Uh, and they went to see this film which was very recently, 2018 I think. And they stayed after the movie was over to see my name in credits. And they got approached by the security because the guy got suspicious like if they were shooting the film with the camera, because that's ah. why like people usually don't say it to, stay, to see credits, right? right. <laughs> and it, it, was, it was so funny that they actually like and they told it, hey like yeah, uh, our, our daughter's husband worked on this and he was like, oh, really? Like he actually was almost like didn't believe
0: it. Jama, I always stay through the credits for any movie that I like. If I don't stay through the credits, I mean, I didn't like the movie. So, your name is on the credits.
1: Yeah, it was, it was. And it's another funny thing. My son, he keeps telling his friends at school that I worked on Aladdin, on Star Wars and Jurassic World and they make fun of, out of him. They go, ah, oh, come on man, it's impossible.
0: <laughs> they think he's uh, he's. Snowing them.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think he's just uh they they think he's just making things up. Uh yeah. yeah. It's it, it's interesting. It's still I think it's rewarding. I but again it took a lot of effort. It still takes a lot of effort. Like I probably work more than I used to do because I just the more you learn, the more you enjoy it and you have different side projects. Like I do right now, I have a few of my own products, like projects I'm working on, some kind of like stuff for 3D, stuff for to the artists, and it just seems like a never-ending journey. You know, I'm, I'm still, I still have the the same amount of motivation, and I do agree with with what you said. Uh, not having all the tools and possibilities when I was starting out really helped me to appreciate what I have now. I knew how much time I spent to get where I am right now, so uh, I always, I appreciate the things that I and the kind of opportunities that I
0: have. You have a brother and you have other siblings too? I
1: have actually a sister as well. My, my, my dad married four times. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I have a sister from his uh, previous wife. Uh, she's way older than me though, maybe 20 years older than me
0: and my brother is six years older than me. Did they go into anything related to the arts?
1: My, I think my brother has a very good Talent. Like he has a huge talent. When we were drawing, uh, remember I told you about the Terminator thing? So I was better at copying. Like I would see if I had a poster of Terminator, I would like, I was able to take a pencil and just recreate very, very closely. But I always had trouble with the imaginary, imaginative part of it. Like I couldn't imagine things. It was like, this is something I struggled a lot when I felt like, yes, I, I'm just a copy machine, you know, like I can copy what in front of me. But he had a natural talent to do things from imagination. Like his poses were great, his just gesture was fantastic. Huh. I just think he didn't pursue it enough, you know. I think I had more passion, you know, basically. And my mom always used to tell me like because I would spend hours and hours doing something and he would be get bored
0: like in two or three hours, he wanted to do something else.
1: He's still in creative business but not
0: art related completely. So, you're the second born male who went into the arts to be an artist. Yes. We have that in common. (laughs) Nice. And also, you had that that bit of a crisis that you were going to move away and you were moving away from the family. I did it actually twice,
1: you know, first time it happened to me when I went to Turkey. So I actually left home pretty early. Uh, and even when I was in Tajikistan, I went to a boarding school which is basically five days a week, we had to be in the school uh, and I remember first time when parents left and I was like just like 20 boys like in one place and we're like, what, Wait, we don't have a family around anymore? <laughs> so, But again, in a year you kind of get used to it and it, has, it was a, it also uh, an important experience for me. It was almost like a learning school about communication, communicating with other people.
0: Let me ask you this, you mentioned that you have personal projects that you're working on. Tell us about the personal projects.
1: Uh, Well, one of the projects I do teaching, so uh, I have a class on concept art for films so which is very time consuming (laughs) and so uh, that's why I call it as a project. Uh also I develop tools. So uh for example I have a project where I develop like add-ons, which like plugins for Blender, which is a 3D software. Uh and again, like I, I I don't much I don't know much about coding. That's why like I partnered with people who who know coding and mainly I'm there to kind of coming up with different workflows, which in the end uh, help artists to speed up their workflow. So that's one of the big projects I'm working on. As, and also, I have this project which I call Big Medium Small. It's again like following the design principles, a uh, design principle that I was taught in in TAD. I that's a project uh, where we create assets for 3D artists because most of the time when you work in in the industry, especially if it's a 3D heavy design work, you spend a lot of time building 3D worlds and You don't want to do that from scratch because that's not the goal. You want to have certain things already pre-made for you so we're creating these high-end assets for games and films so people can use them to build their own creations.
0: One of the things that's fascinating about what you do is that you combine media of all kinds and you embrace new media and you're preparing stuff for VR too, is that correct?
1: Exactly. So, VR was a very (laughs) very interesting experience for me because when I joined Framestore in 2014 and around that time VR kind of started, they had a crowdfunding campaign uh, earlier, maybe a couple of years earlier. So I knew VR is coming, I didn't know what it is and my co-workers, they were talking about it. They were so obsessed about it, they were like, oh, it's a future, it's gonna be awesome. Uh, but I never experienced it so I didn't know what to expect from it. I knew, I knew you're gonna put the helmet on and you're gonna be doing something. But in 2016, I got the headset, and the f- moment I put it on, and they had a few apps where you could create art with, I realized this is this is exactly what I did when I was drawing or painting, but now you're doing that in, in virtual space with virtual tools. Yes. Like you, you have a clay tool where you can make a sculpture, but instead of having a physical sculpture, I was able to do it just in, in virtual world. Which in which opens so many different possibilities, you know? It's yeah. like when we had this transition between traditional media into digital, right? It's not like one of them is better than the other, they both have their own strengths, right? So, digital media took art creation to a very different, interesting level and I believe the same would hap- will happen with VR where you will be able to do, like let's say you will be able to do live drawing but in virtual space. That's very interesting, you know, it's already yeah. and you already have a set of tools which allow you to do that but obviously, as time progresses, the tools will get better and uh, the gears will get better as well because right now it's quite clunky, it kind of sits on, in front of your face but it's just a matter of time till they figure it out and I think it's gonna be... It's an exciting time, I'm very excited. Like, I think it's, it sounds very stupid but the first thing I thought about when I put the headset on, I told myself I don't want to die. Because I want to see where yeah. this goes, right? You know where it's going. Yeah, yeah I, I want to see where it, we will end up being in like 20 plus years because again, this possibility of virtual world, it's just very interesting, you know. It's just a different way to interact with things because when you do interact with computer, you're just using a plain, a very flat screen, like flat screen, right? But here you, you actually, it's almost like you can use your hands to do certain things like and you can do sculpting, you can do drawing, you can do, you, cre- you can create 3D objects. So, I'm very curious. I definitely don't want to die just to see that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, great attitude. You're so excited about the medium. Jama, this, it was a privilege to get to teach you when you were in your influential stages. It is a privilege to have gotten to interview you during this time. Uh, anything else you want to tell us about that you didn't get a chance to tell us about so far?
1: Well, I just wanted to thank you as well as I said multiple times, I'm very grateful and I also, I think I wanted to thank you because we have people like you who really encourage other people to do something, you know? As much as I had effort, I had passion to do when I was learning, it also, it was very important to see people like yourself who encourage us. who. About telling, showing us the way, and basically motivating us. This is a very big factor. Especially, we talked a lot about artists being very fragile. And I, even these days, you get a dislike on Facebook or Instagram, you go, "Why did that person dislike my work?" Right? So we, like, artist nature is very fragile. That's why it's important to have people who support each other. And when I was starting out, out my career you were in a very close circle of people who really encouraged me so I'm very thankful for that.
0: Yeah. Well, it was a great time. You were a star and you still are. Thank you for giving us the time on the Draftsman Podcast to do this interview. Thank you for tuning in with us and how do people get hold of you? Well, they can find my art on ArtStation or
1: they can just find me on Instagram as well.
0: Thanks for tuning in. See you.